In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Question this evening. Has everyone here been out in the woods at some point? All right, just checking. Every so often I run into somebody who's like, I've never been out of Philadelphia. But if you've been walking in the woods and then you've round a corner somewhere you've never been before, and you look out and there's a vista that just takes your breath away. You ever run into an animal that astounds you with its beauty, seeing it in flight or running, watching it swim? Or better yet, have you ever been laying outside at night and looked up at the sky? Now I know around here it's a little bit different than other places. I, when I lived in New Mexico, you, we could drive an hour from our house and you could see everything because there was nobody living out there. But have you ever just looked up at the night sky and looked at all the stars and the planets and just been in awe. How do those experiences make you feel? What did it make you think of? Now hold on to that feeling for just a moment. O oh Lord, our governor, how exalted is your name in all the world. Out of the mouths of infants and children, your majesty is praised above the heavens. Now our psalm this evening was written by David. And here he's reflecting on the greatness of God. In his mind, God's greatness is of such an obvious nature, even little kids can see it. Why? David says part of it is because he's our protector. Someone who gets, we can go to and run to in our time of trouble. Right? We see this again and again in the Psalms, right? He's our crag, our stronghold, our strong tower, our comfort in times of trouble. But David says it's also because God's our creator. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and stars you've set in their courses. Now this is the second week in a row that our psalm is focused on God as a creator. For David, looking at creation, which is a young shepherd boy, I'm sure he had a lot of opportunities just to sit there at night and do. He sees the majesty and power of the creator. Just like we do when we stop and spend time in nature. And then looking at creation, its size, its beauty, its wonder. All the animals that live there. David asked the question, what is man that you should be mindful of him? The son of man that you seek him out. David wants to spend some time with humanity. God, why do you take care of us the way that you do? Why do you protect us? Why do you forgive us? Why? Because we're made in the image of God. And we're loved and valued by our creator. Because we're in his image, he's given us responsibility for the world. And because of sin, the world's broken. We don't live up to or live into what God wants us to do. And those enemies David talks about, those we're seeking God's protection from, they don't live up to it either. If you read the book of Psalms in order like a book of poetry or like a hymnal, David wrote Psalms 3 through 7 too. And in those psalms, David is constantly crying out for God to deliver and protect him. God, I'm in trouble again. Help. Number three, number four, number five, number six, number seven. When we get to number eight, we get the first of David's psalms where he says to the Lord, Listen, Lord, you're my protector, but you're so much more than that. And in the end, this makes him cry out, Oh, Lord, our governor, how exalted is your name in all the world. In our gospel, we read, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. We're here having reading about one of our several appearances of Jesus after the resurrection, but before the ascension. 
After that meeting we read about last week on Easter Day in the upper room, we've still got 40 days to go. And the apostles at first are told to go to Galilee. So they do. But notice it's only the remaining 11. Jesus' mother and his siblings, all those Marys we read about in the resurrection accounts, no one else is there. And when they get to the location in Galilee, who's there? Jesus. And how do they react? They react like we probably all would have. It says they worshipped him. Some doubted. And Jesus would give these eleven a mission. He tells them the Father has given Jesus all authority in heaven and on earth. But that authority has a purpose. They're to go and make disciples. And here notice it says to all nations. He's not excluding anyone. And to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now this weekend is Trinity Sunday. And because it is, I want to say that we can find the Trinity in Scripture. But this evening, rather than focusing on the mystery of the Trinity, on the technical theological definitions we like to get hung up on, I want to focus on what we've seen the Trinity do and what the Trinity is still doing. Last week we saw Jesus imbue those present on Easter in the upper room with the Holy Spirit. And here he's reminding those closest to him that he was empowered by the Father for a task. Paul writes, Finally, brothers and sisters, farewell. Put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Now this is the third or the fourth letter that Paul has written to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, he says, All right, I already wrote you one letter. Here's my second one. In 2 Corinthians, he talks about a severe letter that Paul says, I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of my heart and with many tears. Is that the first one? Is it another one? I don't know that it matters. But at the end of all these letters, he gives them advice. Advice he's already given them in the two letters we have. Be in order. Agree and live with one another in peace. And listen, living in peace with each other can be one of the hardest things we have to do. This is a congregation that's been roiled by divisions, of factions forming, each group belittling the faith of one another. And Paul's told them they're not living out their faith in love. But Paul promises them that if they'll do so, the God of love and peace will be with you. And again, we get a hint of the Trinity at the end. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Paul ends the epistle by talking about the Trinity. He spent letters talking about the fact the Corinthians had the Holy Spirit in their lives but how it didn't give them a, it, them a blank slate to act however they wanted to. Remember that beautiful passage of 1 Corinthians 13? The one that we love to read at weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love has no envy. That wasn't written in the context of marriage. It was written in the context of living with each other. It was written to say that just because we have the Holy Spirit and God uses us, we still have to love each other. I can't say that the, God's gift, the gifts God has given me as your priest are much better than the gifts God has given you as the laity, and therefore I get to load it over you. Instead, God has called each of us to live in love. And here he's reminding them that he wants the grace provided by Jesus, the love that we see the Father have throughout Scripture, the love that David said was our protection, 
and the communion we get with the Advocate, the Comforter, the one who seals us into God's family until our redemption, the Holy Spirit. That's who Paul is calling on to bless them. Then we get to our Old Testament reading. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God the Creator, that's who God is, Paul is calling to bless them. It's this act that David says makes God great and powerful. How do we know that God can actually do those things he's promised? He's the creator. He set everything in motion. Now we know in John's Gospel it says, at the very beginning, that with the Father, who was there in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that through the Word all things were made. Without him nothing was made that had been made. So we know that Christ was present and involved. And in the midst of all that, we hear the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Now the same word in Hebrew that means wind also means breath or spirit. So the spirits there, hovering or sweeping over the waters, they're all there from the beginning as the world was shaped. In Genesis, it tells us that God put the physical parts of creation in motion first, right? Sky, land, and light. Then the plants. And then we get a sun and moon. How does that work? Couldn't explain it to you. But I want to tell you this. I don't think the mechanics of creation are what's important in the Genesis story. What's important is that God created the heavens and the earth and everything around us. As our psalm said last week, what? God even made Leviathan for the sport of it. God created everything that lives and moves. And God's care and creation goes to the earth and all that inhabit it. And then God made mankind. He said, let's make humankind in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his image. And in the image of God, he created them. God made us in his image, each and every one of us. And the God who created the heavens and the earth is not a fickle God. He's not one who lives in a distant remove from us. No, Jesus said this, If he'll take care of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, he'll take care of each and every one of us. He'll protect us like David talked about, giving us grace and love and fellowship as Paul talked about, sealing us into God's family. And then on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done and rested. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work he had done in creation. When God was done with everything he needed to do, he stopped and rested as an example for us. Jesus said that Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. God knew we needed to rest. He also knew that some of us have a tendency to want to work, work, work until all the jobs are done. Even if in the back of our minds, we know the laundry is never done. At best, it's just delayed until we start over again tomorrow. David looked up at the heavens and knew that the Creator was taking care of him, protecting him, and loving him. And he loves us. The Father sent the Son to break the chains of death and bring us into God's family, and left the Holy Spirit to be with us until he returns. The most important thing we learn from the book of Genesis is that the God who created the heavens and the earth loves you. Amen.